Who's your favorite preacher? Now don't answer. Don't all raise your hand at one time. But who is your favorite preacher? There's certainly plenty of options, aren't there? Uh, we have many speakers on television. I was just glancing through the television this morning. Program after program after program after program. All with a different preacher standing there and proclaiming a message. Some of them not the message of God, but others proclaiming the word of God. We have the radio. We have publications we get bombarded with preachers, don't we? And it's very common for us to choose a favorite. That's normal. Some of them speak in a way that appeals to us. Perhaps they have a message that we agree with, and so we, we tend to listen to that one more often than we do another one. And so we have a great tendency to choose a favorite preacher. I must confess guilt along that line. I have preachers I enjoy listening to. There's a problem, however, in doing that. When you begin to choose a favorite preacher, you have a tendency to concentrate upon the man and not upon Christ. You have a tendency to follow the leading of man rather than the word of God. And so what starts out perhaps innocently can often lead us astray. Not only can it lead us astray, but it can bring division. And when believers gather together, frequently they will ask, well, who's your favorite preacher? Who do you like to hear? What books do you read? And, and oftentimes when that comes, some friction will appear. Because you don't always agree on who is the best preacher. And it can bring division and strife. Paul faced that very issue in the very first century of the church. We read about it in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul tackled a division among the people at the church at Corinth who had split into factions because of their favorite preacher. Some said, I am of Apollos. Others said, I am of Paul. And they had this division and this strife among them. All started out perhaps innocently, but had brought great disruption within the church. And Paul gave some direction on how to deal with that pressing problem. One which comes in our day. One which perhaps might have invaded your life. And Paul tackles it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read to you just a couple of verses that deal with his instruction on how the people at Corinth should respond to that problem 
in the church, divisiveness over the favorite preacher. We read, starting in verse number 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Paul began his instruction to them by bringing their focus away from the speaker to Christ. He pointed out to them that they had elevated Apollos and himself above the importance and value of the message and above the centrality of Christ. And he brought and directed their focus back to God. Know you not that you are the temple of God? He wanted them to realize the abiding presence of God within them, among them, as a body of believers. That mission of God's began back in the Garden of Eden. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. When God created the heavens and the earth, and He created man, and He placed Adam and Eve into the Garden in Eden, He dwelled with them. He fellowshiped with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. And he gave them very clear directions that they should multiply and spread throughout all the earth, carrying with them the presence of God. We all know they sinned. They disobeyed God. They never did spread the presence of God throughout all the earth. They never did fully, completely obey God and rebelled against Him and ate the fruit from the tree. But God had a mission. He had a plan. He had a purpose. His plan and purpose was to dwell on earth among men and for that presence of His to spread throughout all of the earth. He began His reclamation project with Abraham. He called one man. And he promised Abraham that through him and through his seed and through his family would come blessing upon all the nations of the earth. We find God following up that covenant that he made with Abraham. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt on their way to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. And they met God at Mount Sinai. And God's presence came down upon the mountain. And we read how the earth trembled and shook. And they saw the fire and the smoke on the mountain. And they knew God's presence there with them. And God again reminded them of His purpose. And His plan, He said, You shall be to me a holy people. And all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You are to go out and you are to spread my presence throughout all the earth. And as God instructed them through Moses, He laid out for them His law, 
and his demands and how he would reconcile sinners and atone for their sin through the sacrifices of animals. And then he said, I want you to build a tabernacle, a place for my presence. I will come down upon that tabernacle and I will dwell among you. And you shall know me. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And you'll recognize me and you can see me. There will be the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And I will abide there in the tabernacle, the place of my presence. After many years, the tent, of course, had ceased to have its function anymore. They had settled into the land and Solomon built a temple, a a permanent place for God's presence and God came down and dwelled there in the presence of that temple. God progressively revealing His mission, His plan and purpose to abide upon earth among and with men. The sin of Israel grew so rampant that God finally withdrew His presence We read about that sad occasion in the book of Ezekiel. How God withdrew his presence from the temple. Israel had so repeatedly rejected God and turned against him that he finally left. Four hundred years elapsed without God's presence until Jesus came. When Jesus came, he again brought God's presence, this time in a different fashion, not like in a temple building, like the tabernacle and the temple, but now within humanity, within man. Scriptures tell us that God took upon himself human flesh. And all of the fullness of God dwelled within the body of one man, Jesus. He became the new temple. God's presence on earth. In man. Lord Jesus came not just to bring God's presence to the earth, but to become a sacrifice that in His atoning sacrificial death on the cross, He might pay for the sins of people like you and like me. So that we might be reconciled back to God. The sin of Adam had brought a rift between mankind and God. Jesus healed that rift through His death on the cross. The sinless one for sinners. The innocent one for the guilty. And when he paid that penalty on the cross for people like you and me, by faith and trust upon him and upon what he accomplished on the cross, as for us, personally, we will be reconciled back to God. After his death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus made a promise. He promised his followers that he would come back to them after he ascended up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He said, I'll come again, only I will come in the person of the Spirit. 
And the Spirit of God will come and He will be with you and He shall be in you. And those of you who love me and who love the Father and obey His Word, we will come and take up our presence within you. Do you see the progression? God began in the Garden of Eden. His presence with Adam and Eve. Their sin. God beginning His progressive revelation of His plan and purpose to ultimately walk among people and to live within them and to place His Spirit within them. And finally we see on the day of Pentecost when the Father sent the Spirit in answer to His Son's request. The Spirit came down upon those believers and indwelt them. God now not just residing in the person of Jesus, but now taking up His residence within people like you and me. We now became temples. The presence of God within us. Those of you listening to this message who have trusted Christ, you have become a temple. The place where God lives. He lives within you and He wants to express through you His presence and to you and make you consciously aware of His presence in your life. But God didn't stop there. That didn't end his mission. For he tells us through Paul, in the circumstance that we just read, that not only does his presence abide within us, but whenever the people of God gather together, his presence is there. Today, as we have gathered in the name of Jesus, and we have come together to fellowship and to worship God, He's here. He's here. Are you aware of Him? Are you consciously aware of His presence here? And that He came with a purpose? That He might reveal Himself to us? That we might actually know His presence here? That we might have intimate fellowship and communion with Him and He with us? The Scriptures tell us repeatedly in the Old Testament, He said, I will come and I will be among them and I will dwell with them and I will walk among them and they will be my people and I will be their God. Do you know that this morning? His presence here? He has come to meet with us. To make His presence known to us. And Paul was reminding his friends at Corinth who had gotten all caught up in who their favorite preacher was. He said, that doesn't matter. What really matters is for you to understand and realize that you are the temple of God. And just to emphasize it further in your minds, we know in the English language that the word you can be both 
singular and plural. It can mean one person, you. It can also mean many people, you. Speaking of the audience, the crowd, the assembly. On this occasion, Paul uses the plural. So he was talking specifically to them as an assembly of believers. And he was saying to them, don't you realize that you are the temple? The assembly of the saints. The collecting together, the gathering together of believers becomes the temple of God. Oh, not this building. And not the number of people who have gathered. And certainly not the place. But the fact that we are God's people. And we have gathered together. God's presence is here. Among us. With us. Now Paul goes on from here and he mentions another very critical issue. Something that we must consider as we evaluate the fact of collectively as we have gathered together we have become the temple of God and he gives a warning and he said because you are my temple you are holy that's kind of a scary thought isn't it that describes one of the very basic attributes of God God is holy There is no sin, there is no evil, no wickedness, no shadow of turning in God's nature. He is holy. So when he comes into a place, he brings his holiness with him. God among us is holy. And because he is here, that holiness should permeate all of our presence. God constantly called his people to holiness, beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. He created them upright, without sin. And he commanded that they walk that way. And to live in obedience, without sin. And to walk with him. And he demanded of them holiness from the very beginning. And we read throughout all of the Old Testament repeatedly, God's call of holiness upon his people he described his children of Israel at Mount Sinai he called them a holy nation and he calls us those of us who have come to faith and trust in Christ he calls us a holy nation to split into factions over our favorite preacher does not conform to holiness but selfishness, pride, trusting upon man instead of God. Paul reminded his friends in Corinth of what should permeate their gathering together, the holiness of God. And he then gave them a warning. He said, if any man defiles that temple, God will destroy him. We have many today who profess to stand in the place of God 
and assume that the message that they declare comes from God's word, but its purpose is to destroy the temple of God. God has said he will destroy them. That's his temple. That's his place of residence. His holiness dwells there. And he will not let man destroy it. We can defile the temple in many ways. We can defile it by grieving the Holy Spirit. We can defile it by quenching the Spirit and pouring cold water on the work of God in our lives as well as in our assembly as we gather together. We can resist the Spirit of God. And when God sends His Spirit to us to speak to us and to reveal Christ to us, we can resist that and say, I'm not interested. I don't want that. I want my own way. I want to do things the way I like to do them. Paul gives a warning. That's my temple. That's my presence that you're dealing with. It's holy. Don't defile it. And those who defile the temple of God, I will destroy them. Well, what did Paul want his friends at Corinth to understand and to know as he dealt with this issue of favoritism in the pulpit at Corinth? He wanted them to realize that as they gathered and when they gathered together as believers, they assembled together in God's name, they became God's abiding presence on earth, the temple of God. In fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for men. And he wanted them to realize the seriousness of it when he warned them that those who defile the temple I will destroy. What significance do the truths that Paul taught to his friends in Corinth, how do they correlate to us today? They correlate in every way. Because we can fall prey to the exact same temptation to which they succumbed. We can have our favorite preachers and we can divide among ourselves and we can, we can cause division and strife among other believers by trying to emphasize one speaker, writer, over another. And the message that God declared through Paul to the people at Corinth comes to us as a warning and reminder as well. As we have gathered together, as we have come together as fellow believers in Christ, we have become the temple of God on earth. His abiding place, His residence here. We dare not defile it. Furthermore, we must understand and recognize His presence here with us. He has come to make Himself known and to reveal to us His Son, the Lord Jesus. Since this message applies to us in our day as well, how then must we respond? Well, very quickly, we could just say, well, that was all for them. Just set it aside. 
doesn't count to us. Or we could just say, tomorrow, 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 I'll think about it. Tomorrow never comes, does it? It may be that as you have listened to this message, you have come to the realization that you have never trusted in Christ, God's provision for sinners like you and like me. Oh, you know about Him? You know about His birth, His death on the cross. You know many facts, perhaps, about the Lord Jesus, but you have never trusted Him as your own provision and payment for your sin. And you have never trusted in Him. You have trusted in your own good works, You have relied upon your own self-effort in some fashion. Or perhaps some other means upon which you have rested your confidence that would somehow make God happy. I want to remind you that God made provision for people like you and like me in His Son. He sent Him with a purpose that he might become a substitute Savior and pay the penalty that God demands for our sins. And he did it not for himself, but for people like you and like me. I would urge you today to repent of your self-reliance and turn instead to believe upon Christ. Trusting His work as for you. And rest upon that for your eternal salvation. Those of us listening today, perhaps you would conclude, I know God's presence in my life. I have sensed it. I am a child of God. I know His presence. I would remind you not only of God's presence within you as an individual, but God's then presence with you and among you and other believers as you gather together with them. Recognize His presence. Listen to His voice as He reveals Himself to you. And as He reveals Christ and opens your eyes to see the truth of His Word. I pray that the Spirit of God will take these truths from His Word and open your eyes to see them and to understand them and to believe and trust the message of His Word and that in trusting you might begin to experience the freshness and the reality of His presence in your life personally and as you gather together with other believers. Let's close in prayer.